Hello, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Mount Sinai Health Partners podcast. I'm Rob Fields, CMO for Pop Health, and I'm super excited today because I get to talk with my partner in crime, Denise Prince, who's a senior vice president and chief operating officer for Mount Sinai Health Partners. So I'm really excited. It's been a long time coming, Denise. It sure has. <laughs> As you know, Denise, we normally start with thinking about or having you talk a little bit about what you do and how you got here. I'll leave it to you. How did you get here? <laughs> how did I get here? Uh, well, I never thought I'd end up in New York City. Um, I live in central Pennsylvania, and uh, it's, it just seemed a world away. But uh, like a lot of people, you have contacts in the industry. And I was really invited to think about this opportunity to help Mount Sinai Health Partners grow its operations. I have uh, 30 years of experience in operations and knew some of the people who were here already. And so when I came here, it was very intriguing to know that we had an all-payer approach and that it was sort of a startup within a large health system, which right. is where all my experience has been through my career. You've done a lot of venture stuff too, right, in the past? And yeah, I would say I'm a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> and so that I've done a lot of startup of programs and businesses in the context of a big healthcare bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my experiences in the post-acute space, starting things like home health and hospice and home infusion and PACE programs, that sort of thing. Yeah, but yeah. for um, many years, I also did for-profit ventures, and that was across a lot of spaces from right. biotech to data licensing and walk-in clinics, probably the most pertinent to um, population health. Yeah. And you s- still live in Pennsylvania? I do. I listen to your podcast as I go back as and forth <laughs> from New York City to Central PA. And I won't you, be listening to this one. Was, <laughs> and still, amazingly, you haven't fallen asleep on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Ian, you alluded to this. I mean, doing this kind of work in the context of a big health system, it's its own deal. Like, it's completely different than you know, having a venture-backed company that's your own. What are your thoughts about that? Do you like one better? Is the challenge kind of fun to do it? Like, what are... Well, temperamentally, I like knowing the big organization that I'm in and what resources I have and sort of the politics, how to make it work, Mm -hmm. and then bringing to the organization a a change. Mm -hmm. And so it's really about change management. So I like adding something new to something that's existing. Yeah. When you and I first discussed doing this, I think the general theme was about leadership, you know, and different flavors on that that we could take. And um, But one of them, I think, is it's really important is exactly that. You know, I know you get asked all the time, as I do, well, how do you be involved in this? And how do you drive change in such a large system? And it drives some people crazy, and it's not for them. But I think you and I both are cut the same way that it's kind of fun to, like, affect big systems at scale. Um, do you – how have you found – like, in New York City, it seems like a whole other deal. How have you found <laughs> that difference? So you did it at Geisinger for a long time, obviously internationally known for what they do. Uh, so is Sinai, but in, for different things. And New York is kind of crazy. Like, well, how has that been, that transition of trying to affect that change? Yeah, I thought it would be a lot about the rural-urban difference Mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, suburban-urban difference, but that's really not been the difference that was the biggest adaptation I needed to make. It was really around the academic 
culture and oh, yeah. what what being a system meant. I remember when I was looking at the job and comparing the two systems, they looked really similar on mm-hmm. paper in terms of number of hospitals and number of physicians and the kinds of services. So I thought, oh, well, these systems are alike. Uh, but what I found when I got here was that no, they came from a very different place in terms of what their priorities are, how people are used to uh, interacting with one another, the way executives are held to account. Geisinger was very hierarchical and mm-hmm. more of a corporate model, and mm-hmm. this is more of an academic model. And so yeah. for the first six months I was here, I kept looking for kind of corporateness <laughs> and services and things to be done in a way across the system because we're a system yeah. that I think we're getting there as a whatever five, six, seven-year-old system, and mm-hmm. I'm sure five years from now we'll, we'll be there, but mm-hmm. they just didn't exist so much here. So we have to create them. Yeah, and, and I think people forget that Sinai is a young system. It's been a hospital for, what, 160-plus years, but it's been a, it's a young system. How is how did your leadership style change? Well, let me first ask, like, how would you describe your leadership style? My leadership style? Um, I think my, my secret talent is to understand patterns of what is going on in a business, what what's defective about the pattern or what new pattern needs to occur, mm-hmm. and then to recruit and retain the experts who can come in and yeah. address that. Yeah. Um, working with people, uh, identifying what their motivations are, what their goals are, how they want to, what kind of workplace they want to be in, and mm-hmm. what, what do they find personally rewarding about that mm-hmm. and then matching the position and the growth path in that position to what the person wants. Yeah. Uh, and that's really learned through the school of hard knocks and having <laughs> messed it up a, a lot of times. Sure. And that's how we then, learn, right? You know, on the other hand, you know, bringing in people who maybe had one set of talents in one context, but put them in a slightly different context and those talents just blossom. Do you think that's changed at all in in this role in this place in the city as a, um, or is that pretty universal? I think it's universal, but I think the culture here was more of promote people from within and recruit people from New York City, mm-hmm. and there wasn't a long history of population health right. expertise right. in in the city, and so we have recruited uh, from all over. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to have the opportunity, though, to recruit and find the people in the greater metro region who were population health-oriented and whose values fit ours and who share the passion that we have yeah. around doing this work. The, you know, and I think we have contacts. I know in how we met on, in, on the NACOS board and other contexts where we hear all the time the lack of um, leadership and know-how uh, in the market, uh, you know, across maybe outside of California on the West Coast, but folks still early and trying to figure this out. Um, do you think, because you you've been involved in things outside of value-based world too, do you think the requirements or the characteristics of leaders are different trying to do this thing that still feels pretty new to a lot of systems? Do you think it's different? I think what's hard compared to other ventures that I've been involved mm-hmm. with is that this is a retrofit. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have a new venture and you have this dream, this vision, you sit around a conference table and say, oh, we should do this. And then you build for that. You start small and it's purpose built. And maybe you have changes in your business plan. They always do. But 
you kind of know where you're going from the beginning. What's mm -hmm. different about what we do is we're taking an existing system with existing incentives yeah. around fee-for-service, yeah. and we're trying to change it across the <laughs> right. board in a very complex environment with lots of people with lots of agendas. And so it just makes it a little bit harder. Yeah. Have you like, – how do you handle the I'll, – I'll, I don't – that is not true just to, for – Full disclosure, I don't think that's true of our CFO at all. In fact, the opposite. But the classic sort of almost a cliche thing in the pop health world in doing this within a system is trying to describe this or push this with a system CFO. And again, ours is actually really different than that, which we're, I think, both really thankful for. But um, th that's the, the classic, in the almost antagonistic viewpoint. You know, some service lines that have the same reaction to value-based care and pop health. Mm -hmm. What do you have, what's your approach there? Well, I agree. I wouldn't be here if we didn't have right. a CFO that totally endorsed right. what we're doing and a board and an executive leadership team. In fact, I, before I accepted the position, I insisted on a one-on-one -on -one with the CFO yeah, I because I wanted to know if it, it was true mm -hmm. that there was understanding and long-term endorsement of it because it wasn't going to happen mm -hmm overnight. I think what I've learned um, in trying to operate on the fee-for-service side while you try to deliver value in these contracts is that the best place to go is where there's a, a win on both sides. Mm -hmm. So if you can do something that generates revenue and volume, but it's good revenue and volume, mm -hmm. it's closing care gaps that need to be closed, or it's doing patient assessments or uh, wellness visits that are really good for patients to make those connections and it does work on the fee-for-service side and it creates value that that's a good place to start because yeah, everybody gets that right start with the win-wins you mentioned the the people parts do you think that the you know i i've I'm sure you run into this too. Folks that uh, will graduate from with their undergraduate degree, or sometimes even a, maybe a clinical graduate degree, um, and then maybe get their MBA or MHA or something like that, and feel like they're ready to leave, they're ready to go, um, and they're still pretty green. How do you, uh, especially for this kind of work and the challenges of behavior change that's required, do you have a little bit of hint in the secret sauce you mentioned earlier about identifying the right folks for this kinds of jobs and? Yeah. yeah, sure. Um, I have a friend, um, Chris Mahai, who wrote this book, Bold, where she talks about positive conspirators mm -hmm. and that what you really need to do when you're trying to create change in an organization is create a, a positive conspiracy. Find like-minded people that are really passionate, that are maybe willing to be a little sneaky in their ways that they get things done. They'll mm -hmm. own up to it later when it works. They'll claim it. But in right. the meantime, they're kind of doing things under the radar. Right. Um, so you, ha you have to experiment with that. You have to be willing to take some risks and try things that um, maybe no, no one's telling you to do it, but you know that that's what needs to be done to create the value. Yeah. And so it's not always in your job description. Right. Right. You have to kind of go outside your current job description to – figure out things that haven't been figured out before. Right, right. The, um, if you balance, uh, because th that seems more, uh, um, 
I, I don't know, but perhaps more intrinsic to a personality type. How do you balance that personality type that you're looking for versus experience? And maybe it depends on the role, but what do you value more? Do you have, to, what do you? It, it's really both, and it does depend on the role. So there, there are some roles we have on our team where you just have to have the competence because neither you nor I know the right. specific subject right. matter right. details. Right. And we need to know, and yep. we need someone on the team that has that. So that's sort of a you know, bottom of the Maslow's hierarchy <laughs> of needs. Like You just have right. to have the, the content expertise. But then beyond that, it's just are people good good humans? Do you right. want to spend time with them? Time. Yeah, sure. <laughs> do, do they have humor? Do they have passion about it? Can, are they respectful of others? Do they have uh, good skills and engaging people they don't know are they resilient when things yeah, go when wrong work. Yeah, sure. and so those kind of package a package of characteristics of what makes a good leader applies in pop health and if someone has those basic things you can often pivot them to a role that's similar to what they have but mm. maybe they don't exactly have the right experience yeah you don't have to name names, but if you think about an early mentor in leadership, can you can you describe what it was about that person that kind of gotcha or really motivated you? Um, sure. Um, that this is part of kind of trite, but my my mom was really a, a yeah. motivator for me um, because she was super resilient. So no matter what came her way. Um, she worked really hard, and she taught me that you always have to do a million things. Right. That's probably why I love jobs that you have to do a million things, where right. I like doing venture because it was a portfolio, and there yep. was a whole lot of different um, companies within the portfolio or running a division called Diversified Services, essentially miscellaneous. <laughs> like you just sort of throw every miscellaneous program That's into right. that division that doesn't belong right. anywhere else. Right. Uh, but she always did that. You right. know, she had a day job, um, but she, you know, she upholstered furniture. She braided rugs. She decorated cakes. <laughs> right. She she did all kinds of stuff. Never and never bored. Never bored, um, right. and always thinking you got to be working hard at a lot of things because you don't really know which thing is going to take. Sure. Talking a little bit about dyad partnerships because this is kind of new for you too, as it is for me. I mean, I had partners for sure, but it wasn't formalized as a diet partnership. So if, for those that are listening, the way we're structured here within Pop Health is that we have different divisions within the realm of Pop Health. Uh, clinical operations is one division, and Denise and I co-lead that. And so it's formalized as a diet partnership. Um, so, you know, <laughs> in a slightly awkward moment as, we're, as, <laughs> as you're discussing the same diet partner, you know, what what's easier or hard about that? Uh there's a lot of things that I love about it, uh, and that wasn't always true for me. Yeah. So for, I'd say, the first 20 years of my career when I was sort of running these portfolios of business, I didn't have a physician partner, and I liked that perfectly well. Yeah, sure. Um, my family members will tell you I, I like to control things. I like to call the shots. I like to say how things are going to go. And when you're in a diet partnership, you can't do that. Yeah. Um, there's different ways to have a partnership, uh, and I've had, I think, five partners mm -hmm. now over time. You're my second partner at Sinai. I had three different ones at, at Geisinger, uh, and each partnership is really different. Yeah. So in some partnerships, 
there's a like a total division of duties like this is your realm and this is my realm and we have mm-hmm. a very small zone of overlap but there's just total trust whatever you decide on your side is fine whatever i decide on my side is fine and we'll just sort of loosely keep each other informed about that right and then there's the sort of total overlap in the venn diagram right. or almost total overlap where all the thinking is done together, all the decision-making is yeah. done together, and I think we're closer to yeah, that side of it just yeah. because of the needs yeah. that, that yeah, we yeah, have yeah. here. Um, I think it's hard in a dyad partnership when your dyad partner has a million other jobs. Yeah, It's not so much about whether you know, he or she is a nice person or whether yeah. they're committed to the job, but if 20% of what they're doing is pop health, and 80% is research and clinical care and yeah. other leadership responsibilities and teaching and all these other things, it can be really frustrating. Yeah. And I think as I look at other systems and I talk to people, a yeah. lot of pop health leaders are in that situation yeah. where they're sharing a fraction of a person and yeah, they never hard. quite get that attention and focus. Right. And so I feel really fortunate in this job because we have pretty much each other's full attention on this work that on we share that yeah. together. There's not a ton of distraction of other things we're doing that are totally unrelated and the system expects us to sure. do, and it, those things don't take a lot of time for us. Thinking about our team, uh, can you talk a little bit about, um, again, pop health entities all over the country are thinking about how to organize themselves. Some of them are kind of bolt-on departments to systems. Some are fully self-sustaining network um, organizations. But they all have to build some semblance of team. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about some of your thoughts when you first arrived at Sinai and building what was to be our clinical operations leadership team and, and how that's evolved and how you see where you see that sure. going. Yeah. Well, for me, it was a really refreshing change to see that there was a multi-payer approach to pop health and that we had contracting on our team Mm -hmm. at the table with us and that the challenge was to create the operating structure to match the commitments we had made in in the contracts. Sure, right, right. And so it was just really fun for me to have it be a recognized team that all had sort of the same goals as opposed to, well, you're the uh, Medicare Shared Savings Program team, and that's separate from the health plan team, even though we're all sort of doing pop health. Pop health is sort of concentrated in one functional area within Mount Sinai, so that's really helpful. That being said, I always think of pop health as sort of a department that's temporary in nature. What we really need to do is help the whole clinical enterprise conduct itself in a way that it's a population health management company. And so, well, maybe there's always going to be a need for the value-based contracting team. 
but the fundamentals of improving quality, improving the patient experience, managing the total cost of care, that's done at the provider level, right. it's at the practice level, sure. the IT systems informatics level, that just has to be embedded in the whole system. Right. And we're here to kind of point out where the development yeah. areas are and make sure it happens and put the right measures and or dashboards in place. Or we get to retire once that's finished. That's right, <laughs> well, that's my intent. <laughs> get it all set up and then, then we're done. Um, no, that, that makes a ton of sense. I, how do you think that that structure, what makes our team work? You know, um, I mean, you, you've seen it evolve from the beginning, from no real team, sense of team, to have it evolved over time. What works and maybe even what doesn't a little bit or where we need to work on? Sure. Um, I think defining the team as a team was the first step because we had a lot of functional areas. We had mm-hmm. people who worked on quality and people who worked on documentation, but they weren't ever in the room together Mm -hmm. and seeing each other as a common uh, uh, helpers to practices. Mm -hmm. Now we see see each other approaching practices and partnering with practices, but knowing that we all have to work together on our side of the table. It's a work in progress, right? We're not, we're not all the way there, but we're much further than we were a couple of years ago. Sure. Um, And I think what that takes in team members is building trust Mm -hmm. and building the familiarity with what the other guy's doing. So I might be the head of care management and not really care too much about what the documentation team is doing Mm -hmm. or what the quality team is doing. But if my care management team members need to help patients and providers achieve those goals. I, I, I need to know what they are, yeah, sure. and I need to know the technology and the processes that are supporting them so that our inputs can be consistent. Yeah, no, makes a ton of sense. Maybe in the last couple minutes, if you don't mind, we can talk um, about the way you think about this work, which I, I think for anyone that's trying to drive big system change, it can be frustrating, sometimes really disheartening. And other times, you know, you get massive wins, which are great too. But, you know, there's certainly ups and downs. And, uh, you know, how, how have you evolved your approach to just balance and um, and philosophy on leadership from the beginning of your career to, to now? To keep those things in mind, you know. Sure. Um, I've tried to develop an appreciation for how long things take to change. Mm -hmm. I remember when I first came to Mount Sinai and there were a lot of legacy care management programs that Mm -hmm. were fed by different funding sources and the management structure was really complicated and I was here months before I understood what that management structure was. I couldn't understand the acronyms. It was crazy. And I thought, oh my God, this is my job to manage this. I'm never going to be able to do it. It's impossible. And I was really discouraged about it. And then over time I realized well, yeah, it might take a couple years, and we're way further now than we were two years ago. So I think it's a li- about being a little kinder to myself mm-hmm. around setting these goals and then being harsh around, well, you, you didn't make the progress that you thought you'd make in the amount of time, but giving myself a little bit of credit. Well, you, you made some progress. Right. It's better than when you found it. Right. Yeah, that's probably a good lesson for young leaders out there, for sure. Well, um, we're out of time, so thanks for uh, joining me, Denise, on 
this discussion. I know uh, it's been, a, a, again, a little while sort of thinking about and talking about it, but I'm glad we made the time. Great. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. All right. Uh, if you have ideas for future podcasts, please email me at robert.fields at mountsinai.org. Thanks a lot. Thank you.